you guys ever been in a spot or a situation <clears throat> where maybe you haven't had the best view? Have you ever been somewhere where you found yourself trying to get a better angle or a better view so that you could see what actually was going on? Believe it or not, for me, um, oftentimes in my life, I've had that issue. Uh, I know my six foot three body would show you that I probably have no issue at all seeing around or in crowds. But believe it or not, sometimes I can't see over people. But what's crazy to me is this, is that um, as a father, I've been learning this thing lately of when I have my two boys and when they want to see something, they ask for one thing for daddy to do. And they hold up their arms and what do they say? Pick me up, right? Or daddy up, daddy up. And, and you pick them up. And I don't know, like, if you've seen, you know, my, my two boys are built differently. One, my oldest one, is like a string bean. It's like nothing to him. But my youngest one, like, he's a, he's a linebacker. You know what I'm saying? Like, he just, he's sturdy. And, like, not just sturdy, he like sturdy, sturdy. You can't knock him down that easily. And when he wants to get up, it's like, it's like a workout. You know, you pick him up, got to use your, got to, not just your back, because you're going to throw that out. You got to use your legs, engage your core. And I remember picking him up, and, and last night even, he wanted to ride on my shoulder. So I pick him up, and I put him on my shoulder so that he can see. And, and, and when I'm walking with him, or when I'm standing in a crowd with him, and, and one of my boys is on my shoulders, it gives them a different perspective, right? They can see things differently, it allows for a better, better line of sight, better angles to see what's going on. It gives him a different perspective than all the others around him. But here's what's interesting. Not only does it give a different perspective, when you put them on your shoulders, their whole posture changes. Hear me on it. When they're standing there and they're trying to see what's going on, they may be standing there and trying to stand on their tiptoes, Right? They may be standing there and they're possibly trying to jump as high as they can just to get a half a second look, another half a second look. Or they might be standing there and maybe it's just my boys, but they're pushing everybody else around them so that they can move towards the front. But when you put them on their shoulders, their posture is different. Because when they're on my shoulders, they're a little bit more relaxed and they're sitting when they're on my shoulders, they're more attentive. They're not fighting. When they're on my shoulders, they're observing and they're taking it all in. You see, their posture is different. And maybe just maybe their posture and how they see the life unfold around them makes a difference in their life. And what they see. Maybe their posture makes a difference. If you have your Bible or if you have your phone or iPad or maybe you brought your desktop computer, I don't really know. But would you just turn to Luke 19 with me real quick? This is probably a pretty familiar story. Uh, if you open it up, uh, my header, Luke 19, it just starts out in, in the very first, the header, the big bold letter says Zacchaeus, the tax collector. 
Do you guys remember that song as a kid? I, I asked Josh as we were you know, heading closer to this. I was like, Josh, I think for your last worship song, you should sing Zacchaeus. <laughs> and he was like, no. And I go, okay. I mean, I'm not singing it, but like you could. <laughs> but Zacchaeus. And, and like for the most part, we probably remember that song a little bit, right? Zacchaeus was a, a wee little man. And a wee little man was he, right? And he what? Climbed up. Yes, like we remember this song. We remember the story. And it helps us remember the story. It's a simple, catchy song that we taught our children and even maybe even ourselves to help us remember this story, Zacchaeus. And, and what's interesting to me is that this song is so great for kids. And I remember singing it. But what's so important, I think, is that when we read it today, when we dig into it today, there's so much more to this story. See, in, in verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. <clears throat> Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Now there was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus. But he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now here's what's interesting. There's a few things here. Jericho, a very rich, very prosperous town. We've talked a lot about Jericho these past few weeks, I feel like. A lot of our stories have been either passing through or around the city of Jericho. It's this rich prosperous, well-known town. It's, it's a place where people with money have resided. It, it's a very, very well-off and well-known town. And it's on the main road to other cities. So a lot of people would use this road and pass through here to get to other places. And right away, it says we get introduced to this man named Zacchaeus. It's, it's second sentence in. We get introduced to Zacchaeus. And it says he was a, a tax collector. And we know that, right? Tax collector. But here's what we might not understand about a tax collector. You want to know how you became a tax collector? One, you came from money. So here he is, a Jewish man, Jewish boy. He's wealthy, as it is. Comes from money. But then two, to become a tax collector, you have to bid to become the tax collector, which means you have to bid the highest out of other people to basically tax your own people. So you're one of the top wealthy people of a Jewish community, and then you bid to become more wealthy and tax your own people. Basically, Zacchaeus is a sellout. <laughs> He's a sellout. And you're gonna, he continues to bid, and then he got the job of a tax collector. But notice, Sarah, I don't know if you can. Can you go back to, thank you. It doesn't just say tax collector. It says he was the what? Chief tax collector. Some other translation says he supervised the other tax collectors in the regions. So not only is he a sellout, he's like a sellout of sellouts. He's like the biggest sellout because he oversees other tax collectors. Now think about that real quick. Here this Jewish man is. He bid to tax his own people, and he's the chief tax collector. I wonder how much love Zacchaeus felt on a daily basis. 
And let's also not forget that most tax collectors, when they sat in their booth, they'd sit alongside the road. And here's what's so unfortunate is that when they sat on the side of the road and they set up their booths, you would come passing by them. And the Romans would say, okay, you have to tax them whatever this set amount. And you'd have to tax the people that set amount. But as a tax collector, anything above that that I want to charge as the tax collector, I could. There's no regulations. There's no rules. So you could be heading through the city to make with money to make sacrifices, I could tax you for everything you have. There was no rules. He's a sellout. He's widely hated. But here's what's so interesting. Here's what's so interesting. He wanted to do what others wanted to do as well. He wanted to see Jesus. And it says he couldn't. So he goes ahead and he runs and he climbs up a tree. And now, let's think about this. This is a tax collector. Why, just maybe why, would he want to see Jesus? Perhaps he, he'd heard about Jesus and that maybe Jesus accepts people like him. Let's not forget who some of Jesus' disciples are, right? Fellow tax collectors and people who don't like tax collectors. So maybe he heard that Jesus accepts people like him. Maybe perhaps Zacchaeus felt that there was hope that he could be accepted for once in a long time. Perhaps Zacchaeus wondered if someone would see him again for him and not just the hatred of the job he chose. I also want to point out something that's very intriguing to me. I want to point out that it's interesting that Scripture notes here that Zacchaeus is a short man. It's a physical characteristic. There's not too many times that we get these physical characteristics that actually define people in some ways. Remember when we talk about and we sing that song, his stature, his height, in a way defines him. It's interesting that scripture notes this. Because growing up, not being the tallest person, I remember the frustration that I had when people would mock me or tease me. I remember the frustration that I would have when I couldn't see or engage in certain stuff that other people could. I remember those emotions. And maybe, I don't know, maybe you can imagine the mocking of Zacchaeus as he grew up that has just been stuffed down and stuffed down and stuffed down. The teasing, the bullying that he endured. And now that he's this tax collector, could maybe just possibly Zacchaeus have pented this all up and now there's no way that anybody can control him? He has power over these people. And I wonder what posture in life Zacchaeus took often. I wonder what posture Zacchaeus took often. Did Zacchaeus take a posture of supremacy? I'm better than you. Look, I've, I've made it. I'm not just a tax collector. I'm a chief tax collector. I have wealth. I have fame. Like, I, I've made it. Supremacy. Long shot here. Did he take a posture of, I want to love everybody really well. 
I don't know if that's the posture he really took. Did he take a posture, though, of, man, I just want to serve everybody with everything that I've been blessed with? Eh, probably not. But what posture did Zacchaeus take? You see, I, I believe that our posture in life speaks a lot about us. Because here's the reality. When our posture, when our posture is from the gospel, we live as Jesus to the broken, the hurting, and the searching world. When our posture is from the gospel, when the posture is that of Jesus, we truly live then and reflect Jesus to the broken, the hurting, and the searching world. What posture are we taking? And in this story, whatever posture Zach usually takes here, he changes it. Remember Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus. He wanted to see Jesus. So what did he do? He ran ahead and he climbed a tree. Now let's put this into another perspective. Let's understand the context and the setting of what's going on here. He climbed a tree. A grown man ran ahead to climb a tree. This is not just a normal grown man. This is not like a youth pastor grown man. This is like a wealthy grown man, a well-known grown man, and he climbs a tree. Can you imagine people's thoughts when they see Zacchaeus climbing a tree? They think, oh, he's really lost it now because he's doing something that is absolutely crazy. But he had a will, he had a desire to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus was willing to do what others wouldn't do to catch a glimpse of him. He has a posture of willingness in this moment. He's willing to do what others wouldn't so that he maybe, just maybe, could catch a glimpse of Jesus and maybe, just maybe, have an encounter with him. His posture is that of being willing and what I love here is Zacchaeus, I think, goes back to his little childhood days. He's probably climbed a tree hundreds of times before as a little boy. He probably, you can hear his mom saying, Zacchaeus, be careful. You're going to break your arm, right? And half the time when I was a little boy and I was climbing trees, my mom was like, just don't do anything stupid, Kyle. And then I did something you, you know, stupid, but you can see it. He's trying to climb the tree to just get a glimpse of Jesus. He's doing something nobody else is willing to do. Man, what would it look like? What would it look like if we were willing to do something that others wouldn't just so we could get a better glimpse of Jesus in our own lives? What if we are willing to risk being mocked, being teased? What if we are willing to do something that others wouldn't do just so that we can get a better look at Jesus? Zacchaeus, he totally risked it all. He was not hesitant. In that moment, whatever posture Zacchaeus usually took in his life, it was different here. He had a posture of willingness. And look what happens, five through seven. 
when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Here's what I love. Go back one slide, Sarah. By the way, this is a timeout pause. I am thankful for our audio slide people that can keep up with me, by the way. Just let's, that's a huge shout out because you guys are great. Okay, time in. So Zacchaeus, Jesus calls him by name. Did we catch that? It doesn't say that Zacchaeus and Jesus have gone back 10, 10 years plus. It doesn't say that they've like hung out multiple times. This is what would be known as like Jesus walking by and he knows Zacchaeus by name without even meeting him before. You want to know why? You want to know how that's possible? Because Jesus is God. Jesus calls him by name. There is power and importance in being called by your name. It's basically here Jesus looks up at him and calls him as a friend. Zacchaeus, my man, my bro, let's go make some burgers. Zacchaeus and and Jesus here, Jesus has this interaction with him as almost a friend. He calls him by name. He doesn't call him by the tax collector. He doesn't say, hey, chief tax collector. He doesn't insult him. He doesn't call him by a name, by a title. He doesn't call him by an insult that I'm sure Zacchaeus has heard hundreds of times. He calls him by name like an old-time buddy. And remember that God, it tells us that God calls us and he knows his sheep by their what? By their name. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his name. No matter what Zacchaeus has done, no matter what Zacchaeus was doing, Jesus called him by name. And maybe there's a reality for some of us today, no matter what we have done in life, God knows your name. No matter what you are doing right now, maybe your struggle, temptation, sin that you may be living in, God calls you by name back to him. No matter how bad, how broken, how hurting, confused, or misled you may be, God calls you by name. He calls his sheep, his children, by name. And he knows them by name. And Jesus calls Zacchaeus out from the tree. Christ calls us out from places. Christ calls us out from the places and into his presence. He calls us into his presence. He calls us to experience him. He calls us from being in the trees and now he calls us to be at his feet with him. Jesus calls Zacchaeus to be with him. And what I love about this is Jesus invites himself over. Like Jesus doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, you think it'd be cool if I like came and hung out for a little bit? He's like, yo, I'm going to your house. We're going to have a party. Like we're going to have dinner together. He doesn't ask. He just invites himself over. Why? Jesus is inviting His posture, Jesus' posture is inviting, it's welcoming, and his posture is of love. He doesn't want to preach to him. 
Jesus wants a relationship with Zacchaeus. He wants a relationship with Zacchaeus. And it's radically countercultural. Radically countercultural. He accepts and he eats with the outcasts. We see this over and over with Jesus. He not only like talks with the outcasts, but he eats with them. He dines with them. He has relationships with them. And Zach here receives Jesus. And let's also be aware here. Let's also be aware that the world, it says that everybody around him looked at what Jesus was doing. And they said they grumbled. In some other translations, it says they started to talk, talk amongst themselves about what is he doing. He is sitting, he is having dinner with this notorious sinner. This bad, bad man. Jesus is breaking all these cultural laws to hang out with Zacchaeus. And look what happens in the final few verses here. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's what I love. Zach receives Jesus. He says salvation has come. It's a play on words because the name that is also translated for salvation, Yeshua, is Jesus. <laughs> so basically, Jesus has come, so salvation has come, and Zach received Jesus. Here's what's so beautiful about that. It's not a creed, it's not a doctrine, it's not even a religion, but Zacchaeus receives Jesus into his house, receives Jesus and his message into his heart, and he's changed. He's changed. Zach saw and felt Jesus' love and his presence through a posture of willingness and service. It's so incredible to see how joyful this sinner was to receive Jesus, but so incredible to see how joyful Jesus was to receive this sinner. Jesus doesn't look at him and shake his head and start to criticize him. Jesus welcomes Zacchaeus into his presence, and Zacchaeus welcomes Jesus into his presence. In the midst of all of this, we're not told how long necessarily this encounter is. We're not told how long Jesus and Zacchaeus are hanging out. But we do know that the world, everybody around them, continues to talk. We do know that they're judging Zacchaeus and even possibly judging Jesus in this encounter. But what's so amazing about this story is a lost man is saved. Zacchaeus is saved. And I think that after this, Zacchaeus had a different posture in his life. I believe that Zacchaeus, after this encounter with Jesus, lived differently. I don't think he could go back to living how he did before. I truly believe that Zacchaeus had a different posture, a different heart set, different mindset. And I love, I love these last two verses, verses 9 and 10. I love it. 
Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown him to be himself to be a true son of Abraham. Pause. Remember, Zacchaeus was a, a Jewish boy, right? But when he bid to become a tax collector, when he became a tax collector and a chief tax collector, more than likely his closest friends and family disowned him. Essentially what they were trying to do was kick him out of the family of Abraham. How can you be a Jew but yet tax your own people? You're working for the Romans. You can't be a true son of Abraham. They would essentially in some ways disown, like there is, a, there is this emotional tie when Jesus says that you truly are a son of Abraham. Jesus brings Zach back into the family. Woo! Like Zacchaeus has come to Thanksgiving this year. It's a good day. Jesus brings him back. He says, you are reinstated. It doesn't matter any of that anymore. You are a son of Abraham. You are in the family. Jesus brings him back into the family. And with that, you can imagine that there must have been in that moment, Zacchaeus, to feel a new sense of worthiness in the presence of the Savior. A new sense of value and purpose for his life. Again, Zacchaeus's posture, I am positive, changed after this encounter. Because how could you stay the same after you encounter the one true living God? How can you stay the same? You see, Jesus lays out his purpose in that very last verse. The Son of Man, a divine title. A divine title for Jesus himself. Son of Man. This is a divinity claim. came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus' purpose was that. It doesn't matter how lost you might be. It doesn't matter how broken you may be. It doesn't matter how dirty you may be. My one purpose, he says, is to seek and save. I will find you and I will save you. If you are lost, you will be found and you will be brought back. As I started to think about this story, I started to ask myself, what was my posture like in life? And what's so intriguing to me is I remember a time in my life where, to be flat out honest with you, my posture towards God and the church were very bad. There was a season in my life where my posture towards Christians and the religious people was a posture of actual anger, disgust, and frustration. It was a season where I felt counted out. I felt outcasted. I felt left behind, and I was hurting. And you see, the hardest part about it was, in that season, when I felt that way, it wasn't even necessarily due to my circumstances. It was actually due to some of the people who I looked at as a reflection of the church. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, one of the hardest things in this world, and I've experienced it, is I've been hurt by the church. 
I had a bad taste. I had a bad look at the church. People in the church had a, a mindset of what was going on and, and seeing what was unfolding with some of the, my family and, and the brokenness in my family that I was outcasted, and that's how I felt. I was hurting. And so my posture towards them became very anger-driven. I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to talk about church. I didn't want to talk about God. But then Jesus laid my name on someone's heart. And they showed me the true heart of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. They extended grace to me, even when I was angry. They extended love to me, even when I probably didn't deserve it. In reality, they weren't even extending these things to me. They were extending Jesus to me. They were extending Jesus to me. And during this encounter with these, this, this person, and I saw Jesus. Like I saw what the church was meant to be. I saw what the church was meant to be. I still had questions. I still had some emotions. But what's so beautiful is this person looked at me and was like, yeah, that's cool. You can have questions. You can even have doubts. Jesus is cool with it. He just says like, hey, just come to me and ask. He, it, it, it's cool, Kyle. It's cool. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus in their posture of grace, their posture of love and acceptance for me. Even as I was still waiting in my posture of being negative. One of my, uh, a good, very good author, Jackie Hill Perry, puts it this way, is that um, the way to heal from being hurt by the church is through the church actually being the church. Because when the church is at her best, she is beautiful. She's beautiful. You see, through this encounter, through this relationship, I discovered a truth for myself. And, and what I discovered a truth of what Jesus is, is that nobody is hopeless when Jesus is around. Nobody is hopeless when Jesus is around. And through that, I started to realize I could change my posture. I could change my posture. When we live our lives with a posture that is of the gospel, it, it's a posture of Jesus to the broken, the hurting, and a searching world. As we close today, um, I don't know where you might be. I, I don't know what posture you might have in life right now. I don't know what things you maybe walked into today. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you walked in those doors and maybe as you walked in, you said, this is the last chance, Jesus. 
I, I don't know. But what I do know is that we serve a God whose posture is a posture of love. We serve a God whose posture is of grace. We serve a God whose posture is just come to me. Just come. Maybe you feel like you've been mistreated. Maybe you feel like you've been passed over. Maybe you feel like you've been broken and hurting. Maybe you need to hear that Jesus sees you exactly where you are and he wants you. He invites you to come back into his presence, to come out of that tree and come into his presence. Jesus wants you. He wants all of your mess. He wants all of your brokenness, all of your emotions. Jesus wants you so that he can show you his posture and his love that he gives. One of the things that never gets old for me is knowing that God calls me by name. He doesn't call me by my sin. He doesn't call me by my mistakes. He doesn't call me by my moments where I made the biggest mistakes in my life. He doesn't call me by anything besides my name. And the adjectives he puts before my name sometimes, beloved, worthy, valued, wanted, needed, cared for. He calls us by our names. And so maybe as we just continue to worship today, maybe this is a moment where we need to reflect on our posture. Is our posture reflecting that of the gospel and of Jesus? Or is it reflecting something else? Once we examine our posture, I think there's a moment where we get to then just fall at his feet and say, what do you want to do with it, God? Lead me and I will follow. And he'll pick us up and he'll call us by our names and he'll take us by the hand and he'll walk with us through our moments in life that we need to be his hands and his feet. During these next two songs, I want to invite you to reflect and maybe ask God, what posture am I having right now? And maybe for some of us, it's just a moment where we need to reflect and say, God, I just need you. I just need to come out of the tree and I just need to fall at your feet. I need to be reminded that you want to go have burgers with me. I want to be reminded that you want to be with me. I want to be reminded that you know me by name. And you call out to me. I, I just need to be reminded that, God, you see me. Maybe that's where some of us are. So wherever you may be, wherever you walked in with this morning, know that God is calling out to you. He's calling out. What posture are you going to have? What response are you going to have?